Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day, for the things that you've already done in us. Every time we come into your presence, Father, we're strengthened, renewed, or refreshed. You give us a download. You speak to us. It's amazing to me that you can gather a group of people, no matter what size this group is. It can be a dozen. It can be 12,000. And do something in everybody's life within a, a, a space of time. It is amazing how awesome the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit, take my words in English, this human words, and, and reveal Jesus to us. Show us what, what you want us to be and do and say and act like. Show us, Lord. Help us. Change us. We give you permission right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So. I might rah, spit a little, growl a little, and shout a little, but I might not. I'm just going to share from my heart this morning um, and over the next three weeks. We're going to take a look at politics and the election from a spiritual and scriptural view. I know that may be a little bit strange to you right now because every time you turn on the news, you hear what man or woman thinks about this election and the current politics. So this next three weeks is going to be different from what we normally do, but I think it's important um, as a pastor to turn our attention, and I'm wanting to turn our attention to what God says about politics and about this election. And I don't have to tell you this, but in the day we're living in, everything is hyped up. Uh, it is just, everything is, this is the biggest uh, and, the, and the loudest, and it's never going to be like this again. And I, I really think that the volume of the voices on the earth are just becoming louder and louder. It's like somebody went up to this big dial and started turning up the volume of everybody's voices into the place where people are just shouting over each other's head and nobody is listening to anyone. And if you hear uh, what people are saying, if you'll be quiet long enough to hear what people are saying, they're saying, let's just bring the tone down, the emotion down, and let's just talk. Let's just learn how to connect to each other, not our heads, but our hearts. Wow. And that's what, <laughs> that's what the Word says and what God has been saying all along. It's not whoever wins the shouting match wins the fight. God doesn't have to shout to get his point across. You remember when he's speaking to the prophet? And he's like, the, the prophet's looking for God to shake and to rattle and to roll and to yell and shout, but it wasn't there. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It was in the still, small voice. And so I think we're in a time where we really need to do like Jesus said, go into your prayer closet, shut the door, which means tune everything out so you can tune in to him. You have to pull yourself away from the world to put yourself in his presence. 
God is not going to make you do anything. He's a loving Heavenly Father that draws you by His Spirit. The Spirit of God draws us. The devil pushes us, right? And so we're in a place, we need to continue to be in the place of pursuing his presence, pulling, pulling ourselves into his presence and away from all those things that distract us. So let me just set the groundwork or the foundation of, of what I'm going to be saying over the next three weeks. I, my wife and I, because we pastor together, that's a little bit different than some pastors. Some pastors have a wife and that pastor's wife. And this is it's just... I'm, I'm just sharing the difference. One's not better than the other. This just works for us in the way that the Lord uh, anointed and called us and commissioned us together as a couple. Some pastors have a wife, and that wife sits kind of behind the scenes and does a lot of work and takes a lot of uh, flack, if you will, a lot of, uh, uh, how do you say, a lot of challenges uh, but they're not out in front. Uh, Pastor Sheila and I have always pastored together out in front. And so we, we, when I say I, I mean we, okay? That's the point that I was making, that I went the long way around the bush. We are responsible for getting people connected to God. We're pastors, our responsibility is getting people connected to God and keeping people <laughs> connected to God. And I've been thinking, because we're at a place in ministry now where we have seen people come in, not just the Lifeway Church, but we've been part of the ministry for 30 years. We've seen people come to Jesus and just have just an awesome connection and relationship with Jesus. And then for one reason or another, they turn and and pull away from the Lord and move away from the Lord and go away from the Lord. And this is one of the, the, the most troubling things for a pastor because, again, our responsibility is to connect people to God and keep people connected to God. So you have to remember who's speaking right now. Right? You have to remember who's speaking. Let me just interject something in here. We're pastors. This is our platform. This is where we speak. I'm not out running for president. Guys, we're not electing a pastor up in Washington. Okay? Four years ago, we didn't elect a pastor up in Washington. Right? Now, let me just say this. If you study the history of our country, and I, I ask you to study... You will see many times ministers become involved in politics. In fact, I have a friend that I can text right now, Jody Heiss, who was a pastor, has a pastor's heart that serves in Congress. And so God uses men and women who have been a part of a ministry in politics. But as for me and my wife and our relationship and our calling, we're not called to be politicians. It intrigues me. Um, I'm interested in the political process and system, but I'm not a political analyst, and I'm not a history professor. So don't hold me to that. 
if I say anything that you think is not right or valid, um, I'm open for you to show me where I'm wrong. And I'm really trying not to get up here and tell you a lot of things politically that I have no idea about. Right? I think that's where we go wrong in America is everybody thinks that they know everything about everything. And there's such pressure on everybody to know everything about everything because, after all, it's out there on Google. And you're supposed to be Googling when you're sleeping in order to find out everything. And if you say one thing that's wrong, everybody's going to cut your head off because they've got a record of it, and shh. So <laughs> it's crazy. But I'm telling you, I'm not a political analyst, nor a history professor. I'm not a campaign manager or a cheerleader for a particular party. <laughs> I believe what I heard one minister say that God is not riding on the back of a donkey or an elephant. Can everybody say amen? amen? My focus here for the next three weeks is to give, and, and not just for the next three weeks, but you understand as we're talking about politics and the election, is to give Jesus glory and not, to, not any other person or any political party. And I, ha I don't know of any, I'm sure there are other pastors that have said this, but I haven't heard any say this. I will never tell you how to vote. That's me personally. I've always said that as long as we've pastored. And there have been election cycles previously, but I will never tell you how to, how to vote because here's the reason. I believe that you're wise enough to hear from the Holy Spirit and to find out about the issues and that requires using your heart and your head I have faith in you I don't have to use my position to tell you how to vote so there's not going to be just like there's no pressure there's no pressure in the church for you to give because God is our source and you hear that every Sunday all these guys that get up here and help with the transition we're not pressured we're not God doesn't pressure us to give he, he's not gonna pressure us to vote in a certain way and as your pastor I trust you and have faith in you that you are connected with God enough to have wisdom find out about the issues and then the Holy Spirit will help you so the first point of the message is let's humble ourselves Humble ourselves. Uh, Second Chronicles 7.14, if you're looking for a place to turn. Um, they're going to put it up on the screen. But humbling ourselves involves positioning our heart. It's a position of our heart to be humble. To humble yourself is to bow your heart, to go low. It is to say, I don't know everything and I don't know what I don't know so I need to find out the, the facts I need to find out that's why in James it says when when any man lacks wisdom let him ask God not Google Google is a re, a resource Wikipedia is a resource but that doesn't mean that it's true 
And from, from here on out, we need to keep reminding this generation because they think that everything they read on this has to be true. But let me tell you, the enemy is using technology to set up a other system, a world system called the beast that will lie to a, a whole generation that is willing to believe what they read right here. <laughs> and you have to have the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to weigh out everything, everything. Did he say everything? I said everything. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the spirit of truth that will bear witness with your spirit, first of all, that you're born again. Second of all, everything that comes into your eye gate, your ear gate, he will show you what is true and what is a lie. Okay? So humbling ourselves is a position of our heart. Daniel honored God. He humbled himself before God three times a day, right? That was his custom to pray. Daniel honored God. God honored Daniel with favor. And the king turned to God as a result. So you see how powerful humility is. With Daniel in a nation that was against God, he humbled himself, drew near to God. James says, if we draw near to God, what's God going to do? Draw near to us. If we humble ourselves before God, God shows his favor on us and honors us. And it affected, in Daniel's case, it affected the nation. It turned a heart of a king to the heart of God. In a wicked, in a wicked nation. Think about that. Think about how powerful humility is and how powerful God and one person that has humbled themselves to God, how powerful that connection is. It turned the whole nation to God. So 2 Chronicles 7.14, look at this scripture. The New Living Translation says this, that if my people, my people who are called by my name, and there are still people on the earth that are still called by the name of the Lord. That's us, Christians, today. Will humble themselves. Some people say, well, you know, God is humbling us. No, God's not humbling us. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be smart enough to humble ourselves. Jesus, Jesus never taught that God was going to whack you over the head and drag you into the prayer closet. That's not God's mode of operation. He's not into that. Right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways. That's repentance. That is saying, no, we, we don't have it all right. There are things in us that are wrong. We have to turn from our ways and humble ourselves. God will hear from heaven he will forgive our sins and restore their land. This is a promise that God made to his people. We are his people and we have his promise. And if we'll do what he said to do, he will do what he said he would do. Amen. That is bottom line right there. 
I mean, like Pastor Sheila said, either we believe this or we don't. Are we following Jesus or we're not? You can't halfway follow Jesus. <laughs> if you stop following Jesus, guess who stopped? You did. He's still moving. Following Jesus means when he's walking, you're walking, doing what he said to do, right? He'll never ask us to do something that we can't do. So God says, it, if and when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. We have to humble ourselves and we need to learn because we don't know it all. Now, this is a big area in the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit is dealing with us about. Because there's, there's a very small difference between being confident and being arrogant. And once you step from confidence over to arrogance, then you're into pride. And pride has consequences. Pride always leads to a fall. The Bible says that. Pride always leads to fall. To a fall. Let's say that so we realize it. Pride always leads to a fall. That's why you don't like being around proud people. I don't like being around proud people. When you hang out with people and all they do is talk about themselves and what they've done and where they've been and how many t-shirts they have and how many trophies they have and all the wonderful things they can do, you know, pretty soon you just say, you know what, you're, you're pretty good by yourself. I'm going to go find somebody that will listen to me at least, right? <laughs> Are we all together in the same boat? <laughs> Some people say pride before God, pride stinks, right? Because God, we see through the word, he's not going to share his glory. And if you think you're all that, like Lucifer was, he thought he was all that. But he found out he was really nothing, <laughs> especially outside of heaven's uh, realm. He was nothing. So humility is powerful. Humility is what we need to do. Humility is involved in prayer. Um, prayer, the presence of God. You don't enter God's presence proud. You know, people quote this scripture, come boldly before the throne of God. Some people get so bold in their own strength and their own faith that they're, they're doing more damage than they are good. And I'm not proud to be a Christian. I'm humble, humbled that God would allow me to become a Christian. There's a difference there. There's a real difference there. Just like Pastor Sheila was talking about, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing how God chose us and allowed us to become his child. And the more you think about that, the more grateful you are and the more humble you become. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. From the Passion Version, the Passion Translation, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude. 
Everybody say gratitude. gratitude. Does that sound like humility? I'm grateful. I am grateful that God would allow me to approach his throne of grace. And when it, the Bible says that when I come into his throne of grace, I come to receive more grace. I'm grateful. There's gratitude. I am not storming the gates of heaven to, to twist God's arm to do anything. I'm not pounding the doors of heaven to, to, to enforce my agenda upon heaven. God, you've got to do this. No. I'm praying with gratitude to God. And pray, pray for all men with all forms of prayer and request as you intercede with intense passion. That's good, isn't it? That's one version talks about fervency. The fervent prayers of the righteous avail much or uh, uh, make much power available, right? So we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray to God with gratitude. We're supposed to pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion and pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship with awe-inspiring and the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. It is pleasing to our Savior God to pray for them. When you pray for others, others, meaning people that don't agree with you, all men everywhere, that all men might be saved, not just the ones you like, are the ones that look like you, are the ones that speak your language, are the ones that live in your country. Can I talk about American pride a little bit? Because I lived in a country, another country for eight years, and... I said this to somebody this morning, and uh, there was a friend that joined this morning, Silvano. Um, we had a church over in Italy when we were there, and the Italians, when, when they knew that we loved them and there was trust built in that relationship, they would ask us questions that were very candid, and I had to really take inventory. They would ask questions like, well, you know, why, why do Americans think that think that they know everything and own everything and they're they're the police of the world and now you may be on the other side saying well what right do they have to ask that guys if we'll just listen and not object and take offense when people ask us a sincere question we'll hear the heart of 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 people that want to connect Pride stinks in any form or any fashion. Just like I said before in, in this message today, if you're proud to be a Christian, maybe you should check your pride. Maybe you should check it at the door because we're honored to be a Christian. We're humbled to be a Christian. We're humbled that God would choose us. I didn't have any, any... Uh, effort or idea or any, uh, any choice that I was born in America. What gives me the right to go around the world and act that I'm better than anybody else that wasn't born in America? Come on, somebody. 
That's, that's good preaching. I don't know. I don't care what you say. Because really, I'm not here to please you. I just prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, help me to say what you want me to say and, and shut my mouth if I say something, before I say something that would offend you or anyone else. Guys, it's time that we put on humility, that we clothe ourselves with humility, and that we pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God. And it pleases our Savior God to pray for everybody. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. So it's our responsibility, responsibility, to pray for those in authority, right? Did you this past week pray for the president? Did you this past week pray for the governor of the state of Georgia? Did you this past week pray for the county commissioners in Gwinnett County? Did you this past week pray for the mayor of your city? Did you, if you live in a neighborhood and that, there's an HOA, did you this past week pray for a, your HOA? They have certain responsibility and certain privileges and certain things, certain responsibility, power. Uh, uh, the thing that goes with power is responsibility. And people fail to see that. When, when God gives authority, he also gives responsibility. What man wants is power and authority with no responsibility. And that always corrupts. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. Right? So we have to check our power with God. We, we are responsible to him for the words that we use. Just like Pastor, was, Pastor Sheila was saying, the words we speak have power. They can... can contain the power of life or death, blessing or cursing. We're responsible for those words. And we're not responsible just to each other, but we're responsible to God. So we have responsibility to pray. We have to pray for those who are in authority. It is our duty, but it's a humble uh, uh, necessity to, to pray so that we can live in pre peace so that we can preach the gospel. Living in peace in times of peace helps us to preach the gospel. It's hard to preach the gospel, harder to preach the gospel when there's no peace. But we see from communist China that people can preach the gospel even when people are bound up in jail. And Paul experienced that too. They locked him up. But he said, you can lock me up, but you're not going to lock the gospel up. But... As an American who is 57 years old next month, I, and I've experienced peace all my life, um, and I've never lived in communist China and been locked up because I was a Christian, I think peace is a lot better than being locked up and chained up, right? And so just from my experience, I think peace is great. But there's a responsibility for me as a Christian to pray for the peace and pray for our leaders that we may live in a peaceful environment so that we can preach the gospel, so that others can become uh, connected with God. And that's important. Because again, pray, vote, pray. We've got to pray. We've got to see the necessity to pray. And it's not just somebody else's job to pray. It's your job to pray. All of us need to pray. It's not just 
this, just the spiritual leaders that have been out in the front preaching the gospel for 50 years. It's not just their responsibility to pray. Anybody can pray. Right? Anybody can pray. If you're a parent and you've ever been healed by the prayers of your child, raise your hand. Okay. There you go. Children can pray. See, God doesn't care whether it's five-year-old faith or 20-year-old faith or 40-year-old faith. Jesus is coming back to find faith. And faith is expressed in prayer. So, pride goes before a fall. And we need to realize as we humble ourselves that our battle is not with flesh and blood and we need to quit fighting each other. As the church, part of our responsibility is to repent of hatred, bitterness, and prejudice. And I'm not talking just about black and white. I'm talking about red and blue. Come on now, somebody. Don't go silent on me. Don't ghost me now. I'm talking about red and blue prejudice. In the body. Oh, you're a Democrat? How could you? How could you? How could you be a Christian to be Democrat? Come on, guys. Get over yourself. Myself, because I'm part of the body. We need to repent. Or the other side of the coin, how could you be Republican and be Christian? Listen, I'm first Christian before I'm American. And I'm first Christian before I'm any kind of associated with any kind of political party. Here's Titus chapter 3, getting back to Scripture and the Bible. Because I don't want my opinion to be mixed up in here. Titus 3, 1 and 2, New Living Translation. Remind the believers, everybody believers in here, I'm reminding you, those that are watching online, I'm reminding you to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. I have heard more complaining and grumbling about the government. If we would pray more, we would grumble less. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. How much plainer can you be? Oh, but we've got, a, we've got a right to have our own opinion, and I've got to express it to everybody just so they know where I'm coming from because I live in a free country. Well, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily need to do something. You can jump off a cliff, but does that mean you need to? No. But if you want to argue for your right to jump off the cliff, there it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. We must not slander anyone. That means, and we talked about that in the past weeks, right, about emotions and words. We're not saying something about somebody that's untrue. If you don't know, then zip the lip. Tick a lock, throw away the key. Whatever, however you want to put it, be quiet. We must avoid quarreling. Why? Because quarrel, behind quarreling is strife, and strife separates. Strife divides. And we, as the body of Christ, need to be united right now. We need to be united. Instead, look at this. They should be gentle. That doesn't mean a doormat. Jesus was gentle, but he was never a doormat. Come on. 
Be gentle and show true humility to everyone, not just the people that you like, and not just the people that you think deserve your humility. So, the question, how can we say you're not a Christian if you don't vote for so-and-so? Why? Because we shouldn't judge people and their salvation based on who they vote for. Let me say it again. You should not judge people and their salvation based on who they vote for. Right? You wouldn't say that people that drive Ford vehicles weren't saved, would you? It's a choice they made to drive Ford. Personally, my grandfather was a Chevy man. And because he was a Chevy man, I'm a Chevy man. I'm just trying to break up the tension there. <laughs> the thing is, we shouldn't judge people at all for anything. doesn't matter if somebody likes uh, pistachio ice cream and you like fudge ripple. I mean, come on. Share. You might like, you might like, like a little bit of pistachio. Here's the thing. Prayer softens us while God is strengthening us. Prayer softens us while God is strengthening us. We should be gentle and as, as, as wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And so we can be wise. I can listen to somebody that I don't agree with without taking offense and just slamming them and proving that they're wrong. I'm not out to make enemies. I'm out to make friends. Guys, I want people to connect with my heart so that I can transmit truth. And, and love is a bridge over which truth passes. If you don't have connection with people, how are you going to show them the love of God? This is where we missed it. We want to get righteous and throw up walls and throw shade. Is that, how's, how's it go? <laughs> And shame and all, I mean, all this, you know, stuff. <laughs> I dissed you. See, years ago, it was, I dissed you. That means disrespect for those. Yeah, cancel. I cancel you. I cancel you. I cancel you. And suddenly you're on a little island by yourself. I hope you like yourself because that's all people going to be around you. You cancel everybody out. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, so let me get back to my notes. If we pray, God will soften us. That's our prayer. Lord, oh, search my heart. Soften me. If we stay in his presence, the water of the Holy Spirit will keep us pliable while the potter molds us and makes us. But once we begin to dry up, it's hard for God to mold you and make you. If you stay in his presence where the Holy Spirit speaking to you and examining you and changing you and rearranging you, you'll be soft. And also in that place, he strengthens us. He fortifies us. Jesus was compassionate without compromise. Jesus did not compromise the truth, but he was compassionate to those people who had never heard the truth. 
There are people being born again into the body of Christ right now that have no idea of kingdom living. So it's wrong for us as Christians to expect someone to, to, to begin to follow Jesus and by next week on Friday to know the Bible and be able to quote scripture. This has always been the problem with Christian, Christianity. We expect to uh, uh, catch a fish that's already scaled and everybody coming into the body of Christ should know everything that I know. Well, that's never going to happen. We have to be humble. The second point to the message today is listening with our heart. We have to listen with our heart, not just your ears. Not throwing up walls and getting offended. Love, write this down, love is the key to power and the key to the harvest. Love is the key to power and the key to the harvest. God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is love. So why does it surprise us that the Bible instructs us all through the New Testament that the church, the body of Christ, should be noticed by its love? It's, the body of Christ is going to be recognized by the love of God. We have to exhibit the love of Christ. The, the love of the Father should flow through us like Romans 5, 5 says, the, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is the force of love in us, flowing out from us. And so we have to love who the world says is unlovely. Because God says everyone is lovely. He made everyone in order to love. And if there's somebody that the world has said is unlovely, God wants to use you to show his love to that person. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down right about now? Love is the key to power. Love is the reason that God wants to heal people, to perform miracles. It's not so that he can prove that he's powerful and that he's God and there is no other. That's not the reason for God to... to do miracles. He wants to show people personally that he loves them. So that's why I say love is the key to power. Love is the key to the harvest. How are we going to reap the harvest if we, as the body of Christ, don't show love to the rest of the world? Those that cursed Jesus, he died for. Do, do we realize that? Jesus is on the cross, bloody beaten, within an inch of giving up his spirit, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's interceding for those that just cursed him and beat him. And we as the body of Christ look at people because they don't believe like we do. And it's time that we begin to listen with our heart instead of just listening with our head. Have you ever been in an argument? <laughs> uh, I laugh <laughs> because I know the second part to this. Have you ever been in an argument and a particular word stuck in your head that that person said? This happens with my wife and I all the time. 
because we're word people. She, she just said, didn't you say today, words matter a lot to you? Or maybe, I know you've said it many, many times to many, many people. Because after all, I just said that I know you. And, <laughs> and listen, this is, this is kind of a side point. But the more you see how much words matter to God, the more they'll matter to you. And so because my wife and I are very word people and we want to know the meaning of a word, we want to use words correctly, anytime we get in an argument, it's like, you said what? You said what? Did you, did you just hear what you said? I heard what you said. And it's like a word stuck in your head. And you can't get past that word. You said what? I can't believe you said what? And I'm not going to give you any examples here. <laughs> because we've already prayed and repented and we've gone past that. But this example here is if you've ever been in an argument and the word's stuck in your head, you're listening with your head and not your heart. And the Lord wants us to hear what's behind that word. And so we have to not just listen with our head, we have to listen with our heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, New Living Translation. Remind everyone about these things. I'm here this morning, October 18th, 2020, Decula, Georgia, to remind you about these things. And I'm going to command you... In God's presence, right here, right now, to stop fighting over words. Stop it. Husbands and wives, stop it. Neighbors, quit fighting over words with your neighbors. Love your neighbors as Christ loves you. Stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Those are bystanders, people that are witnessing Two Christians going at it because one votes for this person and one votes for that party. What kind of witness is that? Come on. What are we telling the world when we engage in a political battle in the middle of the workplace? They know, they know you're both Christians and you're going to make your point. Come on now. People smiling, people grimacing, <laughs> people saying, okay, pastor, go on, uh, go on. Here's the point. Walking in strife and hatred will cancel your prayers of faith. All you're praying, praying for the country, praying for this and praying, praying, praying for your leader, praying. If we walk out of love and we walk in strife and hatred, it's going to cancel those prayers. I'm just the messenger this morning. Strife shows up when you're arguing two sides of the same coin. Coin, right? There's two sides. You can argue both sides. It's the same coin. But to people who don't know, it seems like you're really upset, mad. 
One side's right and the other side has got to be wrong. Bipartisan, two-party political system. Wow, really? Is it God's best? Maybe not, but it's what we're dealing with, right? This book is full of God's not best. His less than best. But by the Holy Spirit and by those people that are tuned in to God through prayer, God turns situations around. He will turn less than best situations around if we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our ways, quit arguing, quit striving over things that really don't matter. You know, this whole election has blown up into, I liken it into two sports teams. Red, yeah, 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 go blue, go blue, go blue, go red, go red, go red. Do you know what you're cheering for? Just a question. Number three, prayer is the key. Last point. Prayer is the key, is the key. Prayer is always the key. One main theme that we see from Genesis to Revelation is that one man or one woman who prays in faith can make a difference in the course of a whole nation. (laughs) Think about that. I talked about Daniel. You can talk about Esther. You can talk about, I mean, David. You can talk about, there's many examples of, of one person that's tuned into God that will dare to pray in faith and stand in faith and believe God and pray that changes the whole course of a nation. So we have to lift our voice in faith. But here, here's the challenge. Many people, even in the body of Christ, leaders in the body of Christ are praying and prophesying out of fear. They're afraid. They're afraid. And they're prophesying out of fear. Listen to me, guys. God has never been afraid that the enemy is going to win. God has never been afraid that the enemy is going to win. And as long as we're with God, we're always on the winning side. Believe that. Believe it. And it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your attitude about the future. With God, we never fail. With God, we always win. With God, and he's on our side, he's made us more than conquerors. No matter, no matter what, God, with God, we're always on the winning side. God is not through with the United States of America. As long as there's a remnant, God will honor his word and his plan for our nation. Remember this, that God began a church with 120 people in the upper room when he actually called 500 people to meet him up in that room. There were 500 people that God called. Jesus appeared to 500. You can study it out. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power from on high. 120 of those went up to the upper room. I did the math on that. That's 24%. God calls 500, but he'll use 120. (laughs) Remember remember what he did with Gideon. Gideon thought he had to have all these guys. God said, no, 
I don't need all those guys. Send some of them home. Send some more home. Okay, now, the ones that are lapping up the water like a dog. Come on. 300. <laughs> God doesn't need many to do great things. He just needs us. And he's never motivated by fear. So it's wrong for anybody. I'm telling you this because I know your phones are blowing up with text messages asking for campaign do dollars and emails about praying for this and praying for that and this election and that election and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it'd be great right now to just turn your phone off until after the elections. But fear is not a motivation to get out the vote. Fear is never a motivation from God. God is not afraid that this world is going to blow up by the end of the year and that COVID is going to take over everything. Think about to the messages. Think about the messages that we started preaching back in March. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we've been preaching those same messages for six, seven months now. And we're still saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about COVID. Don't be afraid about the election. God is not worried. And if we're worried, guess what? We have moved away from him because he's not worried. If we spend as much time praying for our country as we've done talking about everything that's wrong, Christians would not be walking around confused and afraid. We need some sacks. Sacks. S-A-C. S-A-C. I just made that up. Actually, I guess the Holy Spirit gave it to me. Spiritual action committees. Not PACs. PACs are political action committees. And it, the definition of a PAC is a U.S. Uh, it's an organization in the U.S. that raises money privately to influence elections or legislation, especially at the federal level. I'm saying that we need some spiritual action committees that will go down on our knees and say, Lord, 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 you're the one that hears from heaven and that heals our land. And a spiritual action committee is on call 24-7, 365. We don't need text messages. We don't have to use donation dollars to flood the Internet with emails. We just make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, use me. Use me. Whatever you, need to, whenever you need me to pray, I'm available. I'm going to point out one scripture, and then we're going to wrap it up here. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. This is the scripture that, that we started with. I'm just going to read it because I know the Lord wants me to reiterate. This is like the exclamation point on this message. Most of all, I'm writing, and today I'm speaking as your pastor, to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Be grateful to God. Pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion. Not out of fear, but out of faith. I just added that part in there. And pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. 
It is pleasing to our Savior God to pray for them because he longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. There's things that happen when we pray. Probably the greatest thing that happens when we pray is we're able to hear the Holy Spirit. And we need to hear the Holy Spirit right now louder than the media, louder than the text message, text messages, louder than the commercials. If we pray, God can open the eyes of our nation. If we pray, God can stir up the church to become engaged and involved in the political process, which means vote. There are millions of church people that did not vote, not church people, Christians, <laughs> Jesus followers, not just church people. Just because you come into a church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. But there were millions of Christians that self-identify as Christians that follow Jesus that did not vote in the last election. But if we pray, God can stir up those people that are Christians to become engaged and involved in the political process. When we pray, God can get involved, but he's waiting for us to pray. So I'm challenging you to pray every day, every day. This First Timothy, go back to First Timothy 2, 1 and 4, and pray that. Pray so that God, you're giving God permission to use you in prayer. You can talk and debate all day long about what is right and wrong about this nation. But when we begin to pray, we become part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. We've got to remember, like the Lord showed the prophet and his servant, that there are more with us than against us. And that was a result of prayer. When we pray, God can show us that there's more with us than against us. So we're going to pray right now that the eyes of the church be opened so that we can see. We need to see. We need to see through God's eyes. Yes, the time is short. Yes, things have come to a, a real head. But that doesn't mean... We have to be emotional and mean-spirited and hateful and full of strife and fear. There's never been a time in my life where I prayed out of fear that God responded. God doesn't operate through fear. It's through love, through trust. He wants us to trust him and love him. There's more with us. Let's say that together. There's more with us. Say it again. There's more with us. There's more with us. Lord, help us to remember there's more with us. There's more with us. You haven't given up on these people that were born in this country called America. Lord, we're not the the greatest thing since sliced bread. We're just people in need of a Savior. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Those who've been proud to be a Christian and proud to be an American, Lord, 
Help us see that without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, life is worth nothing. If you're here today and you need Jesus, you realize right now at this moment that your life is missing something. I'm just going to invite you to say this with me, to pray this with me. You know, prayer is nothing more or less than communicating with God. And so when we use our words to connect with him, we're, we're, we're praying. And so I'm asking you to pray with me. If you're here in the, in the building or you're watching online, let's all say this together because this is the reason that we're here. This is the reason we do what we do. This is, this is our why. The body of Christ is still on the earth right now because there are people that need to come to Jesus. That may be you. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I do believe that Jesus Christ is your only son. That he was born on this earth through a virgin. That he shed his blood and he gave his life. And he died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. But he rose again for my salvation. And I choose today to receive that free gift. I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. And I receive your salvation. I choose today to follow Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. that I can live in power and obey you. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that, then you're a Christ follower. That is the first step into a, a new life, God's life. He wants to draw you deeper into this truth, the truth of his word. And that happens when you connect. When you connect with him, you connect with people, you connect with a local church. If you're looking for a local church, we're here for you. We, as I said in the beginning, our, our responsibility, our function in the body, mine and Pastor Sheila, is to connect people to God and then help people stay connected to God. Keep people connected to God.